Welcome to the latest edition of the VOM Squad podcast, a production of Voices of Monterey Bay. I'm your host, Joe Livernoise. We've been away for a bit. It's taken me a while to get my act together during COVID-19. And if there's anything I learned during the pandemic, it's that I really do miss apple fritters from Red's Donuts. Mmm, donuts. But more importantly, I finally figured out that Zoom is good for something, including the recording of sound files. Except that, as you'll notice during this interview, somehow I didn't connect my mic correctly, and I sound like I'm speaking from the bottom of a 32-ounce can of Pabst Blue Ribbon beer. My guests this week are John Wizard, who is a Seaside City Councilman, and Matt Huerta, a former Salinas Planning Commissioner who is a housing and social justice advocate in Salinas. Both are shaking things up in their respective communities with suggestions that the cities defund police departments. Their proposals come on the heels of the outrage and the protests surrounding the death of George Lloyd. As you can imagine, the suggestion by Wizard and Huerta has drawn considerable heat from police agencies but it has also generated considerable community support. As you'll hear, they are not advocating the outright dismantling of the police agencies. But I'll let them explain where they're coming from in their own words. So this is me with Matt Huerta and John Wizard. I'm the one who sounds like I'm talking from the bottom of a PBR can. This is my first time trying this with Zoom. I've done a couple of tests and I think I've got it right. So um, I, I did this with Erica Mahoney the other day and she did the same exact thing. It was a video call so we could kind of face to face, but she yeah. just needed to capture the audio. Right, exactly. And yeah, it's so fortunately the video is not going to be sure. Don't, you know, you're a handsome man. You got a nice background and everything, but nah. Thank you. I would have, I, actually, I would have been a little bit more formal just, but um, we just had a food distribution at City Hall and I got home about eight minutes ago. So oh, uh, just dripping in sweat and didn't have time to get cleaned up. Okay, perfect. And, and you can see that I've gone feral for the uh, pandemic. <laughs> Preface to this, um, you know, we're here with uh, Seaside Councilman John Wizard and uh, Matt uh, Huerta, who is a um, man about town activist and consultant in uh, Salinas. And uh, back in, oh, it wasn't even back, it was May 30th, it was a week ago, um, my wife and I were at the uh, demonstration, the Black Lives Matter demonstration in uh, Window on the Bay in Monterey. And uh, John did a great job with uh, Tyler Williamson. Uh, putting that together. Thank you. And uh, uh, John and Tyler were both speaking, and both of you stepped up and, uh, you know, great words, started talking about um, defunding or reviewing funding for police. And I turned to my wife and I said, it's on. Here we go. <laughs> And uh, so the reaction we've seen since then has been uh, rather interesting. And uh, John, tell me, I mean, what, what was your motivation for uh, uh, 
for using that platform on that day to sort of launch into this campaign? Well, we've seen uh, tragically um, black men and women being um, killed, being murdered by police officers who act indiscriminately. Um, you know, there's a, an entire conversation just to have on that point, but between the qualified immunity and um, the lack of, of video evidence to refute, and even when there is video evidence, um, police are not held to the same standard that, uh, that we are as uh, regular people just living our lives. And so with greater power comes greater responsibility, except our, our justice system is rather unjust and doesn't require that responsibility. So it then falls to the policymakers um, and not the courts to ensure that justice is achievable. And that for a city council, for a state, even for the federal government looks like um, a prioritization along the lines of budgets. And, you know, it's hard when you are trying to uh, address a crowd or just get, you know, plant a seed of an idea to really explore the four corners of, of a conversation, of a dialogue on such a complex issue. So defund the police is more about getting people's attention on this matter so that we can have that dialogue, so they're prepared. And in Seaside, you know, we spend uh, $14 million, uh, just under $14 million out of our pretty small $32 million budget. I mean, that's less than $1,000 per capita. Uh, we're spending less than $1,000 per person per year for the rec department, for repaving roads, for the fire service. Across the entire board, we've got less than $1,000 and 40% of that goes to our police department. Um, I, that doesn't sound like, like a budget centered on equity to me, especially in a historically black community, a uh, community where Martin Luther King Jr. came and, and gave a sermon, uh, a community that has uh, seen its share of uh, social ills that have not been solved in the last 65 years by more police. So if you do the same thing you've always done, you can expect what you always got, and we need to rethink how we spend our public dollars to invest in ourselves and not more into police. Yeah, Johnny, it seemed to me that uh, we've, we've talked a lot since the pandemic started and everything shut down and people are, uh, particularly in government, are starting to review virtually everything. Businesses are doing the same thing, but the pandemic has been an opportunity for us to sort of step back and, you know, you keep hearing that we're never going to return to the same. It's never going to be the same. So do you think that this is like kind of the perfect time to, to, to review how municipal governments operate and what the priorities are? Yeah, I do. I think, you know, just like our households, just like our, the places we work, um, as there's less revenue coming in, we need to prioritize what we're going to spend those dollars on. And in our households, that's food, power, um, you know, heat, and uh, whatever creature comforts we can still hold on to. And for a municipal government, as the dollars shrink, you could try to do things proportionately, uh, you know, an across the board 10% cut. But budgets for cities are not, uh, they're not uniform in that not every department is funded the same. So a 10% cut from the biggest department is uncomfortable. A 10% cut from the community development department that is one of the smallest budgets is catastrophic, is, is 
financially ruinous. So to, to say status quo, to say proportional cuts, um, it's not, it, it's a lazy way to balance a budget. And we need to be more purposeful and mindful about what we're doing and not just accept uh, that's a way to do it. I guess we should do that. Okay, Matt. And then a couple of days after the uh, rally, um, I noticed on your Facebook post that um, on your Facebook that uh, you know the Salinas call to action, make your voice heard. And the idea is that possibly Salinas uh, Police Department should receive no more than 30% of the entire general fund budget. And um, with a lot of, with, you know, the, the balance going to parks, libraries, recreation centers, and other youth programs. As you know, the, uh, the Salinas Police Department's relationship with the community has always been a little fraught, uh, to say the least. And uh, so I'm wondering what sort of reaction you're getting. We'll, we'll talk about uh, the reaction John's received already. It was pretty swift. But, but how about you? Um, and how about your organization? Yeah, so um, thank you for the opportunity to, to speak with you and, and my colleague here, John. Um, really, I think I'm, I'm just a, a member, a part of this movement to try to address uh, racial disparity and seek racial justice. It's something that I've been actively engaged in for over two decades now um, as a student activist at UC Davis, starting my career in affordable housing and um, continued on that. And affordable housing in of itself is really about addressing uh, structural reform in a way that allows people, low-income people, to participate in the economy and to, to live and to, to potentially thrive anywhere that, where they're at. And um, most of those people tend to be people of color. And so that's the what I've been swimming in and what I uh, cent center my work in and that's how John and I have become really close colleagues over recent years as he's increased his engagement in Seaside and across Monterey County um, and beyond. But um, when I saw what happened with uh, Floyd, um, it broke me and it, it, it broke America in a way that, that I haven't seen and I've been paying attention for a while and there has been atrocities locally in other communities, not too far from here and in other instances. But, but when we saw him pass away, he did so brutally by folks that were supposed to protect us. It was the most visible, vicious display of our racial problem in this country. And if you're not woke and if you're not pushed to try to make some kind of change now, then you will never be. And that's where we're at. And so when we, when we take these huge, complicated, dicey, intense, rage-filled issues, how do we make sense of it? Where do we go from here? How can we address that at a local level? And when we look at Salinas, and the people that I've been working with in Salinas for a few years now, we're, we are one of those communities. We are one death away from burning this town down. If something were to happen of the, the nature of what we saw to 
to uh, Mr. Floyd, I can't imagine what this community would, would erupt in. And that's what I'm hoping to prevent. That's what I think that other leaders in our community are hoping to prevent. And we know that the status quo is unacceptable. And guess what? Yes, there are tough decisions to be made and there are cuts that will be had from our budget, but that still leaves over $100 million. There's resources in this community. And how do we spend what we have left? And the values that are reflected in our budget will uh, be who we are going forward. And so our call to action is to um, envision a new way forward, reallocate, reinvest, um, identify the good things that are going on in our police department. There are amazing people and leaders in our police department. Uh, I rely on them. Our, our code enforcement officers rely on them, our, our housing, our, our peace. Um, but we also rely on social services. We rely on affordable housing. We rely on these other, other proactive measures that have not gotten the amount of resources that they need. And so we want a different direction. And that's what our, our call to action is about. And I, I think that we have, I've gotten an overflow of support from residents, from uh, leaders. Some of them are able to come forward. Others are just send me small messages on the side. Thank you, Matt. Thank you to you and others who are speaking out on this. And we have dozens of letters being sent to council members. They've ha they haven't heard in this much from residents in a long time on this issue at all, really. And so that's, that's what's happening right now. There's certainly some resistance that's boiling over and to, to be expected, but I know that there's uh, already uh, a significant amount of support on the council to move in this direction. How much and how fast, I don't know, but uh, we're gonna, we have established this dialogue and I believe that this dialogue is gonna happen even as soon as this next Tuesday. And they were gonna, there are poised to take action in June, I believe at the June 23rd meeting. So between now and then, um, we will continue to, to send out information and activate uh, anybody and everybody who's interested in this locally and to support leaders like John who have put their, um, their com community, their, their careers really on the line for this, uh, this issue. And um, I commend John and I support him 100%. Well, yeah, and I, I, um... I noticed um, John was uh, speaking at the uh, Seaside um, rally a couple days ago and uh, very uh, passionately, and uh, there was a recording of that. Um, and uh, you, you, Matt, um, uh, reposted uh, that clip and said, who is this guy? He's a damn savage. <laughs> Yeah, so obviously there's uh, some mutual support there, and that, that's great. I know that I talked to Matt a little earlier, uh, or a couple days ago, about this when we were setting this up. But um, but so your um, strategy isn't uh, taken from a prescribed playbook like eight camp wait or any any of these sort of national programs that are are going on. Or are you? I, you know, could you describe to me what sort of how operational you your strategy is in trying to achieve this? Yeah, no, we, 
we we have a huge team that's working on this uh, over a dozen folks that are really collaborating closely on an ongoing basis and we have folks that are professionals people that by and large have lived here for decades uh, born here raised here went to school here know people we have connections to elected officials in schools in at the council at the supervisors others and we're uh, coordinated and we're trying to again be as constructive as we can we know that there needs to be customized solutions in each of our communities i'm not going to pretend to know what john needs to get done in seaside he is reaching out as an elected official to his constituents to his residents and neighbors and allies and friends to figure that out and the same way we are in salinas i'm working with you know scott davis is probably our strongest champion right now uh, on the city council and he's a deputy sheriff he knows the business of of law and order and peace and he understands what the limits are in terms of uh, budget um, constraints and investments and he understands that the time is now to make uh, changes but he can't do those on his own he needs three other votes where are those votes going to come from i would love to have a unanimous vote by our city council in a direction that's strong, that has significant uh, reinvestment. We don't have to have all the answers now, but we certainly need to have a strong directional shift. And that's what we're asking for. Well, good. And, and John, the, the, um, the uh, clip I referenced uh, was you talking into a bullhorn to a crowd tell, telling the people, you can't do this alone. We need your help. And uh, uh, so, so what sort of reaction are you getting? Uh, we'll talk about the reaction from the police association later, but how about uh, within the community? Um, what sort of reaction are you getting from them? It's been overwhelmingly positive. Oh. Unequivocally, I, I've gotten more than 100 emails in the last several days from people uh, in Seaside and out, uh, young folks and old and uh, allies and uh, brothers and sisters from the queer community, from the Asian community, Latino community. Um, we are having um, very positive um, intergenerational, interracial conversations across the county um, on these Zoom and conference calls uh, with leaders from the Black Lives Matter and um, police reform movements nationwide are paying attention to what's happening here in Monterey County. and. Um, I really wanted to take a, a moment to say that, you know, the the youngest of these activists, and and I want to shout out all the six-year-olds and the eight-year-olds and the ten-year-olds with their signs and their their allyship, but the the young adults who are one year into college and came home because of COVID, and the kids who didn't leave and were our Hartnell and MPC and CSUMB and and UCSC students who are um, rising to this moment. Um, I, I said this to somebody else, but it is both heartwarming and heartbreaking to see these kids step into this this role because they shouldn't have to own our crap, but they're going to see to it that this world becomes a little bit more uh, fair, equitable, and just. And and I'm here to do what I can. I was telling somebody just yesterday, you know, I have the vote, I have the title, I sit in the chair, but I'm not doing your work of getting your neighbors and building community. I can try, but people are necessarily and rightfully skeptical about politicians. That's that's the nature of democracy. And, and I understand that. 
so people who are out knocking on doors, who are making phone calls, who are uh, building coalitions on uh, social media, they are activating a huge network. I've gotten uh, dozens of Facebook messages, uh, private messages on Twitter, public messages on Twitter. Um, you know, the, the Police Officers Association post has a lot of love on there for me. And there is a huge movement of people who want to see this happen and they're stepping up to the occasion. And that means that I need to follow through and do my work politically, the political calculus to get this across the finish line. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that police officers association uh, statement. And, and I'm going to read a part of it and then you and allow you to uh, react. Um, it says that to say the police should be def defunded is the type of rhetoric a member of city council should not be espousing, especially when he ran his campaign under the guise of being a former police officer, however short-lived that was. Wizard also posed a question to the crowd asking, what would happen if a large group such as theirs showed up to council meetings? This statement seems to give the impression Wizard is suggesting a forceful takeover of city government or possible violence. So what do you say? Well, I mean, we'll just go to the obvious thing first and the, the soft accusation of sedition and the violent overthrow of our government is really disappointing to see from people who would call themselves professionals. Um, you know, black men um, don't need any help being seen as violent or dangerous or untrustworthy. And for um, our men and women in law enforcement to encourage those sorts of thoughts uh, really just puts me and my family in danger. That's, that's what that achieves. And I think that's the point. I think it's to try to intimidate me and let me know that um, they can use their coded language and they can use their whistles to let all the people know that I'm the one not to be trusted and, and that I'm trying to uh, make everybody less safe, which could not be further from the truth. Um, so it was really disappointing to see um, our police officers that we lift up in Seaside as being some of the best that we have ever seen in our community after six decades. Um, there has been a lot of growing pains with our police department and we are in a good place now. And when I said, let's shift a little bit more money into community investment and community budgeting, they did not hesitate to make a sharp turn back toward um, the, the dog whistling of the former uh, fugitive slave patrols and how dangerous we would be if we escaped. Um, so their, their argument is really just one long personal attack. There's not a lot of meat in it. Um, um, and it's just rife with errors. I mean, under the guise of a police officer, either I was or I wasn't, and I was. So I can't control that uh, I stopped a car with, a, with a, an ounce of methamphetamines in it and went to go serve a search warrant and blew out my knee. I, I'm not in, in control of that fact. That's just a thing that happened to me. And because I was medically retired, yeah, my career only lasted three years, but it wasn't like I couldn't hack it or I quit or I was dismissed for excessive use of force. I was, I was trying to do the right thing and serve my community and I got hurt in the process. So I decided, which I, on the campaign trail, I decided to, to share this message of, I try to help people. I, I believe I was raised, you know, my grandfather was a superintendent of schools. My grandmother taught English. My mom worked with uh, developmentally disabled adults and my dad's worked for the federal government for 30 years. Um, service is a part of our family's identity. And when I tried to help people with my body, I got hurt 
So I pivoted to help people with my mind and ran for office. And that I would elevate this uh, debate, this discourse around what does what is the reflection of our values if we say budgets are value statements? Well, then we must be saying that we need to control a majority minority community with police first and community services second. And that's backwards to me. Um, you know, the Washington Post has this great article um, that just, just references a very uh, long academic study as, as they usually go, um, where uh, in cities of over 100,000, so that would be, in our case, uh, city of Salinas, not necessarily city of Seaside. So it's just not an apples to apples comparison, but uh, in cities of more than 100,000, um, each new nonprofit organization that is working on anti-crime and anti-violence initiatives creates a 1.2% drop in the homicide rate and a 1% drop in violent crime and a 0.7% reduction in property crime. So um, nonprofits are not that expensive because we underfund them. And whether that's intentional or unintentional, the fact remains that in Seaside with a, with a $32 million budget, every penny that we funnel into our nonprofits, Village Project, uh, Palenque Arts, um, uh, Guitars Not Guns, uh, Monterey uh, School Symphony, every penny we put into our community means a safer community. Every penny we put into the police means more police, more arrests, more use of force, and actually it's diminishing returns. You can pump all the money you want into the police department, but if we're just a community of badges, what does that really do? Are, are we even a community at that point? So uh, having been in, in the police, uh, working as an officer for three years, were, um, you had to have known what their reaction would have been like, right? I mean, and, but they took it a step further too. I mean, they essentially um, accused you of race baiting uh, over a comment that you'd made, I guess, uh, that, that said that white America was not gonna fix the current problems. And they, they said that this was a reckless statement. I don't know. So what, what, you had to have known that this sort of thing was gonna happen, right? It, yeah, I did, but um, something that I, I can't recall where I read it, but something that I really believe in is that um, when you run for office and are entrusted with your, by your community to, to support them, to be their voice when they're not at the table, to attend the meeting when they've got class, to work on the budget through the middle of the night when they've got to put their kids to bed, they want you to represent them. I'm not a trustee in that I got elected and I'm gonna do what I think is best. I'm a representative in that people chose me to represent them and I need to do their work. And that requires political bravery. You can't, you can't be effective or even useful for that matter if you're not willing to say difficult things. And I think that it is um, without much thought that our police department would accuse me of raising an issue and spotlighting a, a necessary conversation, but instead call that race baiting, instead accuse me of trying to harm them when if we don't talk about a problem, the problem will not only never get fixed, but if we're not addressing it. And so the idea that, that white America bears no responsibility for the structural racism that has led to a black man being suffocated in the gutter in broad daylight by somebody who has sworn an oath to protect us um, is just frankly absurd. And uh, it really demonstrates the, the lack of intellectual and emotional maturity that we have in our community with people 
cruising around with loaded guns on their hips, which is frankly a scary thought to me. Well, um, both of you, Matt and John, I, I, I've been watching from the sidelines for quite a while, you know, as a reporter, um, and uh, you're sort of the, both of you are sort of the new young bucks in town. Um, and so I wanted to uh, sort of reflect back on, uh, circle back on, on who are you guys? Uh, start with Matt. Uh, uh, Matt comes, I, I was, I'm very familiar with your work in housing and the effort to create more affordable housing in um, Monterey County. But uh, tell me a little about yourself. Yeah, you know, I, I um, have a working class uh, background, grew up in uh, Visalia, Fresno, Clovis area, so Central Valley kid through and through. Um, loved it. Didn't realize I was poor until I moved to Clovis which is kind of uh, graduating from the other side of the tracks if you're from the Central Valley and um, really encountered, um, you know, kind of what, what it meant to be a, a lat young Latino uh, growing up working class um, through that experience. And um, my, my parents, uh, very hardworking uh, mother in retail, father in construction related stuff. Um, I have an older brother, younger brother, younger sister. Uh, I was the only one to really kind of get out and um, early enough anyhow, right out of school to go to college. And I went to, um, I got in through affirmative action programs, uh, MESA, Math Engineering Science Achievement that helped me uh, get into UC Davis. And um, I took that opportunity and made the best of it and around that time, during my school years, I got hooked up with many other uh, student activists, and they were fighting things like, you know, uh, supporting unionization, supporting healthcare for uh, students. Uh, it wasn't a, 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 it was a big problem back then. Supporting affirmative action programs, uh, many other issues on campus safety. And so most of my grounding in terms of my values and my connections to people, I still maintain lots of connections throughout the country uh, from people that I graduated with and then and collaborated with. Uh, we built a big coalition of progressive student leaders during that time. And we've all kind of grown up in the last 20 years uh, through our respective careers and pathways. Um, and so I lean on that quite a bit and um, throughout the, my time, uh, the last 20 years have just kind of every few years kind of increased my intensity around engagement in the local community. And uh, most recently after serving about uh, almost 12 years on the planning commission in Salinas, um, I've started my own business uh, doing consulting and I have clients in the Bay Area and uh, here as well do policy and uh, development, direct development work. Um, but along the way, um, I've, I've had four kids. My wife is a school teacher, and I'm very, very concerned about the future uh, for my kids personally and for their friends. Um, you know, when Trump got elected, everything changed locally. There was this layer of conservative uh, orthodoxy that basically became the way of getting things done, and I no longer had that same relationship I I used to see with the mayor and others who seem to have more of a of a, a 
a public benefit lens to things. And now it became more of, okay, well, how do I keep the status quo? And so when, you know, sanctuary city policies would come forward, uh, that question I got very involved in other affordable housing things where we disagreed publicly. I just started taking more of a leadership role wherever, wherever I needed to, but there's a huge, what, what I love about um, where I'm at right now is um, there's a huge network of progressive activism in uh, Salinas, especially, and, and connecting to folks even on the peninsula with John. And I think we're all pretty much on the same page, especially as of the last few weeks and months when we have our young folks, as John said, coming back home and they, and I talk to them and my wife talks to them, she, she's an educator and it breaks our heart because they were concerned about their futures before coronavirus. And now not only are they concerned about the healthcare emergency that they find themselves in and everything that that means, but we actually have a deeper, more uh, emerging problem in terms of addressing racial inequality. That cuts across everything else. And that's where, you know, and even being a, a younger Latino, middle-aged Latino, uh, working with youth, um, we even had this incident this past week with Sean Monterosa in, in Vallejo. And so this is, this is a black-brown situation primarily. Of course, it affects everybody. And we're actively trying to reach out and help our white ally friends understand how they can support our situation. But I think it came in one of your questions earlier is that both John and I feel very, uh, you know, responsible as folks that have been doing this kind of work for a while that we have to play leadership roles in this because we, we have unique roles and positions and knowledge in our communities and we have to play a leadership role at this time. So. I would love to just go on a vacation and hang out and, you know, avoid all this stuff, um, which I have the resources to do that. But you know what? The time is now for change and um, we have we have to do everything we can. Thanks. And John, how about you? Where did you come from and where, where did you spend your time uh, policing? Um, I, I grew up in San Diego, but my dad was a... Um, you know, a government employee. He worked for the federal government. And so we transferred from Coronado up to the Na uh, Naval Postgraduate School. Um, I ended up going to Pacific Grove High. Um, my dad worked hard to put me in one of the good schools. Um, you know, and, and we could have another hours long conversation about basic aid and, and average daily attendance and the vestiges of redlining and, and ec educational opportunity. But um, uh, I went away to school. I, I got a degree at San Jose State. Uh, ended up uh, um, as a police officer in San Luis Obispo. Uh, romantic relationship ended, came back home, and ended up at the San Benito Sheriff's Office where I had worked uh, as a 911 dispatcher while I was going to university at, in San Jose. And, um, you know, I, I will tell you there is a very different um, feel between being a city cop, especially in a college town like SLO, mm -hmm. and uh, a deputy sheriff, especially in a, a more rural county, a more ag-based county like um, uh, San Benito as, a, as compared to like an LA or um, you know, Alameda or something like that. So um, you know, I got to see some interesting things. Um, you, know, you can't be a police officer or a deputy for very long before you, you learn how hard that job is. Um, and I think that that is perhaps why um, our law enforcement 
community is so upset about the idea of defunding the police because they feel like they've been put upon to do an impossible job and we're going to take away their resources. And, you know, I want to, I want to disaggregate all of those things and say that I agree that they have an impossible job because I tried to do it. We do not need our police officers to be social workers. We do not need our police officers to be drug counselors. We do not need our police officers to be paramedics. We don't need them to be crisis counselors, youth mental health. They're not marriage and family therapists. We need police officers to be police officers, which means we need to invest the money that we had been pumping into their budgets to, for them to do all those other jobs. We need to divert that to those people who actually do that as their profession. We need to take the burden away from police because when you ask a surgeon if you need surgery, the answer is yes. If you ask a police officer if they need more money to do that difficult job, the answer is yes. If we focus on the work that needs to be done and then appropriately fund those people who are already doing that work, then we don't need our police to do things that they're ill-equipped to do. I think it's incredibly valuable for our police officers across Monterey County after there was the incident with the, uh, the veteran who had the mental health crisis and there was a, a shooting and all of the officers and deputies in Monterey County now get CIT training, the critical incident team training. Invaluable. That, that has been a wonderful benefit to our community. I still prefer a social worker or a mental health crisis counselor to be responding with them, to help them, because if things go sideways and an officer feels in danger, the penal code, I mean, I wrote my thesis on this, the penal code gives them the right to defend themselves and no duty to retreat. They can do whatever they feel is appropriate to defend themselves and others, up to and including killing somebody. We give them that right in their job. How many nurses do you know who have ever killed somebody who got combative because they were uh, coming out of surgery and had too many opioids in their system? How many um, firefighters do you know have killed somebody because when my house is on fire and I'm in a delirium about protecting my animals or my valuables and I'm you know, all over the place? How many lifeguards do you know have murdered somebody because the person was choking for air and, and acting you know, out of control in the water trying to survive. Only the police are the ones who keep murdering people in the street. And it's because we keep asking them to do things they can't do. That is the reflex. So let's stop giving more money to the police and give it to the people who do those jobs and have never, in my knowledge, killed somebody for doing what they've been trained to do. Well, I, I've been involved with uh, the uh, National Alliance on Mental Illness, and we're, we're great supporters of the crisis intervention training that is provided through behavioral health here in Monterey County. Um, and we see the difference. We, you can tell. You can tell the departments that have uh, embraced this uh, and, uh, and use this philosophy in, in their um, policing. And I think it's, it's a great resource to, in Monterey County. And in fact, the, the entire um, crisis intervention uh, training uh, program was sparked by a murder in Seaside. Uh, that happened, you know, 25 years ago, maybe 20 years ago. So, um, and I think, uh, and, and, you, and, you've, and I've seen um, the difference it makes in, in different uh, agencies, but then there's others that for whatever reason, I uh, can't invest in the, the time, you know, because it's a 40 hour um, program and they have difficulties just getting people there. And, uh, and you can tell because those cities are having those problems. I won't name names, 
Matt? <laughs> you know, we know all about Salinas and the intensity with the, you mentioned the relationship with the community and, and that's, that's also center right now. And that has, um, I think it's very telling that um, it took over a week for really the chief and even for that matter, the mayor to really say anything about what was happening. And it's part of the, part of that is because they really have very little credibility with the community and they know it. And that's sad, but it's true. And what can they do about it? They need to make dramatic, a dramatic shift right now to save what little bit of opportunity there is to have some credibility with the community. And it starts with not only money, but also accountability. If we get, if we set the direction and um, achieve some better direction and investment, that's not going to be enough. We need to make sure that there's additional layers of accountability for officers for, for when they, they um, don't, uh, you know, follow their own rules and for when they, uh, you know, go overboard and, you know, there's incidences of that even fairly recently where there's officer involved shootings and does it, does it uh, take 18 bullets to stop, a, you know, a young woman in a car? Is that, is that right? And what are the repercussions for that in terms of additional investigations or citizen oversight? You know, what does that look like? And it, it, it can't look like it has been in the past. There's like three or four vacancies right now in the police oversight committee. Why is that? It's because it's a joke and everybody knows it. Well, I, I promised, well, I said that this was going to take about 30 minutes and we could talk, I know, for hours about this. Uh, I'll, I'll have one more question then. I'll let you, you both of you wrap up. It, um, and, and this is, uh, uh, was, this question is kind of spurred from uh, the uh, statement that uh, Chief David Hober of, of Monterey, which is not your jurisdiction, as I understand, but you know, he he uh, uh, just the other day, you know, issued a statement that said that their department has embraced and the eight points uh, that uh, President Obama had listed in its police use of force project and leadership conference on civil and human rights. And they're continuing to adapt uh, to, to try to make things right. Is, is that the sort of thing that you would hope to get from um, your agencies or does, does what uh, Chief Holber's talking about uh, not go far enough? If, if I could just jump in, um, I'm sure Matt can speak uh, about that uh, with what's going on in Salinas. Um, I'll just say that um, we um, we led an effort uh, to eliminate the school resource officer position uh, in the city of Seaside. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we have one police officer who is supposed to cover, I think it's nine elementary schools and two high schools and a middle school. And the idea that he'd be able to do anything effective in, the, in a time of emergency is just, it's just flatly incorrect. There's no way to get from Delray Woods Elementary near Delray Oaks over to Central Coast High School to stop an, an active shooter. There's just no way that you're going to do that. Uh, and you can't be everywhere at once. So the entire department would respond, which means then why do we have a school resource officer? No. Um, but when I went to uh, the MPUSD board meeting to, to say that message, to say, I've been a police officer and I know that our school resource officer 
school resource officers can't do what you're expecting them to do. And the feeling of safety doesn't actually make us safe. In fact, it takes away money from investing in the community. Um, Chief Hober was there. And uh, when the board had voted on that item, I stepped outside because that was the prime reason I was there. I stepped outside and, and Chief Hober uh, and the Monterey School Resource Officer came outside. Uh, and Chief Hober got uh, very close to me and wanted to know where I'd worked and who I knew there and why I would say such things if I was a police officer once. And, you know, that's very disrespectful. And it was, um, you know, it was a classic intimidation technique. You know, I, I've been on the other side of that conversation with people who are actively committing crimes, um, but exercising my First Amendment right to say, I don't like this thing. And then he's going to come stand toe to toe with me with his SRO over his shoulder to make sure I don't do anything stupid. Um, you know, so when Chief Hober says those things, it rings hollow. It doesn't mean anything to me because we're not talking, you know, I, I want to be careful. I don't want to speak format. And so I want to give him that space to back away from my statement, but I'm not talking about police reform. I'm talking about structural change. You can't chip away at what's going on. You need to change it foundationally. We need to reorient how we have this relationship with the people who would enforce laws against us. You know, um, another statistic, just very quickly, I know we're trying to wrap up. The um, wage theft in the United States is over a billion dollars a year. Walmart not paying people, Costco not doing overtime. Um, that is a civil penalty. But if I work at Cinemark and I take a 20 out of the drawer, I just committed a jailable offense. Mm -hmm. So the idea of what we as a society have labeled a crime and what is not is backwards. And the idea that we would, we would put a kid into the criminal legal system because he or she is hungry and took an apple out of a store because a mom takes a box of diapers because a dad takes a 20 out of a drawer because he can't see his family suffer anymore. That is criminal. But when we allow Exxon to steal people's pensions, when we allow PG&E to literally burn people alive in San Bruno and uh, paradise, those things are civil assessments. You know, that, that's just business. So um, I am all for the eight can't wait. I'm all for these uh, use of force reforms. I mean, big, big energy in, across the state around uh, Gavin Newsom um, working with Assemblymember Gibson to outlaw the carotid neck restraint, um, which I'll tell you is not as safe as everybody claims it to be, because if you are having any sort of uh, plaque buildup in your carotid arteries mm -hmm. and they apply that technique, sure, they might not be collapsing your trachea, but now you're going to have a, a transient ischemic attack and have a stroke. So eight can't wait is important, but What's more important is preventing the police from even being in a position to use that type of force. And the way that we do that is by investing in our community. When people are not so hungry that they need to steal, when people are able to get meaningful work through anti-poverty measures, which coincidentally beautify our city and make it a better place, and the quality of life goes up so people don't want to commit acts of vandalism. They don't want to harm the physical built environment because they, they have built it. They have ownership of it. You know, you're telling me that we've got $14 million in the police department. We can't put a bunch of 16-year-olds and 17-year-olds who are out of, out of school over the summer to work in our parks? We can't figure out how to do that? That's just, that's madness. I, I refuse to accept that. And so when I say defund the police, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about reimagining how we spend our dollars and not some pie-in-the-sky philosophical conversation. Put kids to work. 
give people who are on the street and don't have shelter, give them an opportunity to make honest money. Why do we push people into criminality with a, with a legal system that we built? We invented what is a crime and what's not, and we constantly shove people into the carceral state so that people who manage to stay out, like you and me and, and your listeners, get to fund, we subsidize the jail system, which doesn't go to education, which doesn't go to healthcare. It's, the whole thing is just backwards. And it's been accepted as just, that's how it is. And it's all built on the idea of policing black and brown and indigenous people so that we can have this structure of white supremacy and superiority. And I'm here to tell you, the country is experiencing this unrest and this, um, this movement right now. It's no longer a moment. We have entered a movement and, and that is quickly um, going to be rearranged. I don't imagine that half this country is willing to take that anymore after what we've seen time and time and time again. Thanks. Uh, Matt, I, I'm not going to ask you to piggyback on that statement. I mean, that's, you said it. Um, but um, are, are you encouraged by what uh, uh, Garcetti's done in, um, in LA? Is that a step in the right direction? I, is there more to be done there? Is that, is that the sort of leadership that, that you're looking for that might trickle down into communities like yours? Absolutely. Um, you know, there, I'm sure people on the ground in LA um, see it as a half measure when you're talking about billions of dollars in a budget and maybe $150 million swing for the largest, second largest city in the country. But um, it's certainly the kind of directional shift that we're looking for that we're trying to replicate. And uh, yes, movement, yes, this radical shift and change. That's the dialogue that I get up in the morning for, but other people, guess what, Joe, people, you know, I get it. They talk about quality of life. They want, you know, something better. They want their kids to return back from college and have a job, this and that. There's tangible things that whether you're brown, black, white, doesn't matter. We all want healthy food. We wanna be able to exercise. We wanna enjoy our kids, our neighbors, our friends. We wanna take a damn vacation. Our residents, especially in Monterey County, especially in ag, our ag workers that are 99, 100% Latino, they don't get that stuff. They, they barely see the damn ocean and they live, you know, 20 minutes away. How many kids, how many freaking kids do I need to meet that don't even know how to swim or they don't even see the ocean for years? And what we're talking about is that, you know, yes, Again, all this, this radical shift, oh, no, no, you can paint me with a brush with this radical thing, but it's not that radical. In fact, a lot of this stuff's happening already. Even in, in Salinas, we have Folklorico, we have Yosal, we have Gil's Basketball Academy, we have soccer leagues. The city themselves have identified this as a priority and said, guess what? We're gonna take you know, so many acres over here near the east side and we're gonna have state-of-the-art regional soccer fields. Let's continue investing in that. And what we're saying is that, guess what? That's the solution. But we can't have that while the police department, this sucking sound, uh, this uh, of, of, you know, sucking all those, those resources out in one way. And we know that that doesn't work as good. We've tried that. You had your chance. We tried that. It's not working. We need a different direction. It's that simple. Well, the Monterey protests, folks seem to know what they're doing. Uh, they're doing a great job, I think. Uh, the one they did in Seaside the other day was really inspiring. Um, and the one that you and Tyler did was great. Um, 
it, and it's interesting the, there was a string that was supposed to happen in um, on the peninsula in PG, Monterey, Carmel. And I talked to those people, and I was like, well, you know, just what you were saying, uh, Matt, it's like no one imagined that it was as complicated as, as it really is. Um, so they thought that they could just show up and, you know, have fun, but no. <laughs> it's important. Again, this, you know, race, class, gender issues are super, super, you know, impacted. And as we know, I mean, unless you have the lived black experience, you know, I have to slow down and say, look, yeah, this moment is about racial inequality, but it only came about because of the, the intensity and bravery that the Black Lives Movement has, is they're the point. Yeah. And I, 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 that needs to be expressed more as well, is that, you know, the most impacted members of our society are our black brothers and sisters who have borne the brunt and the, the shouldered the most intense, you know, uh, you know, history of this country and continues to, and they need to have the, the they need to be the leaders of this. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. And I, I just very quickly, I know we're trying to wrap up. Um, I just want to say that um, it's been really heartening um, as a member of the black community and, and in dialogue with other um just community members in the black community to hear that message from from other members of different ethnic groups who want to center us in this moment. Um, and then I always try to to reflect that back by letting them know that that I appreciate the struggle of La Raza. I appreciate that, you know, the Chicanos, um, the first generation Californians who got kicked out of the country and then brought back when we went to war and then their kids uh, became the Latinos and then their kids be- became these, you're deprived of their language, you know, slapped on the wrist so that if they try to speak Spanish in school and uh, the braceros and, and like this country is built on other people's backs and we, you know, black people are very angry and tired, but we can't forget that we are not the only ones who experience this stuff. We need to really lean into the black brown solidarity uh, and unity because we can't get there alone but even if we could get there alone we cannot allow our brothers and sisters who've been with us in this struggle to get left out so it really is about all of us getting lifted up together and i think that um it's good for our souls to hear people like matt and um uh, like uh, Dr. Curtis Purnell um, from LSL Family Resource Center. It's really good to hear them um, acknowledge that, but then let's get to work. Like, thank you, and now let's let's do the work. Do it. Very good. Well, John, Matt, thank you so much for the time again. I, I do appreciate it, and, and we'll see you out in the streets. Look forward to it, Joe. Thanks. <laughs> Bye. Thanks, Matt. See ya. Hi everyone, it's Noah from AMP. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Vom Squad, a Voices podcast produced in conjunction with Access Media Productions in Monterey County. We would like to remind everyone to stay safe, educated, and to keep this conversation going within your community as it is far from over. Until next time.